Big tech earnings are coming in hot, but the stock market is reacting cold. SBF takes the stand, Cruz hits the brakes hard. And Zuckerberg is coming for Sam Altman. All that and more coming up right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. We have a big week of tech earnings, Alphabet, Meta, Amazon, and Microsoft all reported, and the stock market is kicking the butt of Alphabet and not treating the others much better. So we'll get into that and plenty more as we go on. As always, we're joined by Ranjan Roy of Margins. Ranjan, welcome to the show. Hey, as uh, the RBC Capital Markets head of U.S. equity strategy said, the markets are in a spooky place right now. So I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about tech earnings uh, four days ahead of Halloween. Bring on the scary puns. Apple, of course, has its super scary event where it's going to introduce a whole lineup of MacBooks coming up on the 30th. You heard about that a little bit with Brian McCullough on Wednesday. But meanwhile, we can get down to these new tech stories uh, but first, on the subject of Halloween, we, I logged on to our little stream today, and I was like, Ranjan, you got a haircut. But it turns out that I had misread the situation entirely. Can like you share a little bit more about what's happened like, here? Like an observant podcast host, Alex totally got the situation wrong, and it was not a haircut. <laughs> I shaved my beard for the first time in three years. Um, but And for those on LinkedIn watching, uh, you can see in the stream... But I will be Taylor Swift for Halloween um, and paired with a Travis Kelsey. But I have chosen to be Taylor Swift because it's just funnier that way. So that's amazing. Well, yeah, I will say I've gotten okay very quickly not to get too into Taylor Swift territory, but I in in uh, researching this costume as only a big technology podcast co-host could do and writer of margins. I will admit I have gotten more fascinated into how she conducts business and how kind of baller she is about certain things. Even recently, the Eras tour going essentially direct to distributor in term and bypassing the studios and going direct to the movie theaters, all these kind of things. I, I went into a rabbit hole and finally learned about how and why she re-released all of her albums and uh, <laughs> trauma on the masters and stuff. So, so I'll say Taylor Swift, businesswoman extraordinaire. I definitely want to go see that movie in theaters. And you know, Ron John, you know, sometimes Maybe. you zig where others zag, but you are zigging where others are zigging because Taylor Swift is the going to be the most popular costume this Halloween, Travis Kelsey, number two. And look at, look at you go. You're going to be Taylor. I know, which is why I had to be Taylor in this situation, because otherwise <laughs> it would be too basic and too, too of the moment. So we had to mix it up a little bit. That That's was my great. zag. That okay. My zag. So speaking of zigzags, you have tech earnings and the market reaction to them. You have a really uh, ugly slate of uh, tech stock movement this week, led by Al Alphabet, which is down 10% this week off of like a, what I felt was a tiny miss. But Meta is also down 5%. After a huge beat, Apple's down 2%. It'll report earnings next week. Amazon just delivered this amazing, I mean, crushing uh, earnings report in a good way. And it's up 3% this week. And Microsoft also had such impressive numbers and it's up 2%. So you look at the reaction 
And then you look at the way that the market has treated these companies, and it seems to be quite incongruous, right? They're basically delivering almost everything Wall Street wants, and yet their share prices are falling. And it's like, well, they just went through this whole cycle of year of efficiency and try to get into line with what the macro environment demands, and they're still getting punished. So what's happening, Ranjan? I think the market is starting to understand, but but when we should definitely dig into each company because I think there's there's uh, nuances within the different reports. But o- overall, and going back to that comment from the RBC equity analyst about spooky season in the in big tech, it's these companies had made such a big comeback in the last year. In all of the NASDAQ's growth, they comprised, I believe it's 86% of all of that growth. So the entire market, uh, one of the analysts called them the Magnificent Seven. It's no longer FANG. Now it's a Magnificent Oh, yeah. They use that term every day on CNBC. Okay. Yeah. Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, Tesla, and NVIDIA. So the market has come to depend on them. But again, we're heading into a moment where now that all of their valuations have both recovered and then some, now the expectations for continued insane growth remain. And, you know, AI and all the excitement around it has saved the market and pushed it back into a point where people are excited. But at a certain point, especially given macroeconomic concerns, geopolitical concerns, and competitive concerns, because can they all be winners in the AI space? I think finally, people are starting to go one by one and really try to understand where these companies are really going. But here's the thing, like, they, um, they did have their run up, but they still remain relatively cheap and they're even cheaper now. And you would imagine there would be, a, I think they call it like a level of support where they don't fall this way, but they are falling this way. Just listen to something that Brad Gerstner, the investor, shared uh, on top of his CNBC clip this, this week that basically went into more depth. So he said, when the market faces near-term uncertainties like war and higher rates, owning the future of tech and AI at multiples below Walmart and the S&P 500 for double the growth and much higher margins, feels compelling. Zuck reduced his year-over-year headcount from 86,000 to 66,000 while doubling free cash flow to 30, 30 billion. So it almost seems that, 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 yes, these are serious macroeconomic factors, but if you look at the logic of it, these companies are still, I mean, Meta is like, what, at a 15 multiple, so it's trading. It's a less expensive stock than a Nike, which is effectively the point that Gerstner was making. So why are they continuing to fall? Yeah, but I, this is where I think it's interesting is that, and I, and until I had uh, you had shared that quote to me earlier, and I actually was looking up, Walmart is, Walmart is trading at 31 times earnings. As you said, Nike, I believe, is around high 20s, low 30s. But what's really interesting to me is maybe part of what's being signaled here is big tech companies have dominated anything technology. And again, with or in their cloud divisions and around AI spend, potentially, they could continue to dominate. But Nike and Walmart show that traditional companies outside of pure technology are, I hate to say, becoming part technology companies. This isn't mm. kind of, you know, Adam Newman, WeWork BS, where it's we're a tech company when we're really a real estate company. It's that Walmart has built a huge technology operation. Nike clearly is, I mean, a very innovative uh, retail company. So it's as technology 
becomes more integrated into these more traditional retailers and retail or outside of pure technology companies, I think they become more interesting. And that almost necessarily will limit pure big tech growth. Yeah, but if you look at a Walmart or a Nike, they still have higher capital costs than a tech platform. I mean, you know, the the margins from a Meta are insane compared to the margins from a Nike. So even though well, Nike has a website or Walmart has an e-commerce division, doesn't make any sense that well that that Meta is if you look at earnings, you know, twice as expensive. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I mean, we have to take Tesla out of that conversation, which we'll definitely we'll get, get to. to in terms of uh, capital costs. But, but, but I agree. It's, it's. But also remember, these companies are gigantic. So growing again, Google's this last quarter was seventy billion in revenue. I think it was twenty nine billion in profit. Microsoft fifty six point five billion in revenue, twenty two point three billion in profit, which was up twenty seven percent. So already the market has factored in these insane levels of growth on top of just gigantic bases. I think that to me that's the thing. It's we've become so accustomed to assuming again twenty seven percent profit growth on a base of twenty billion plus is just insane to me. And in any other market or economy would never have even been imagined, but in tech, big tech, it has worked so far. I think it's just a reminder that a little bit of caution is not the worst thing. Yep. So here's kind of how I responded to Gerstner's comments on air. And I don't know how if it came out well or not, but I figured it's worth bringing up. If you look at the valuation of some of these tech stocks, you know, six months ago, they were the valuations were richer than they are today. Absolutely. They're cheaper now than they were previously. But I think what Brad is missing in the big picture is, is that investors are spiritually, metaphysically, they're a little bit nervous about being in equities in a way that they weren't before. To take all the logic you want out of it, there's still a behavioral aspect to it. And I think that's something to concentrate on. I basically said that there's like a spiritual slash metaphysical aspect to this, which is that <laughs> all, all the always on cable news getting into spiritual. I do. I love to talk that. about it. But basically, like, that's a fancy way of saying that there's a behavioral aspect to it, which is that these companies have made up such a large part of the S&P 500 for so long. And when the market feels a little bit shaky, investors get jittery and they run away. And that's basically the point I made is throw like you might have the logic Throw the logic away because there's the behavioral aspect that you can't ignore. What's your perspective there? Yeah, I, I'm certainly the first to believe in animal spirits in the stock market and the idea that uh, psychology drives things much more than pure numerical and financial analyses. Um, and it's true. Yeah, these are these are the bellwethers. These are where everyone's money is. And also... Let's not forget that these are companies where so many people in the economy have made so much money over such a long period of time now, going on 13 years, let's say, or even 23 years if you got people who are very early, that it's one of those things that at any point, the idea that you know they've already made their money selling at the first sign of turbulence is not always going to be the worst thing. So yeah, I think... The, they represent such a big part of growth right now that any sign of degrowth, they're going to be the first to kind of reflect that, at least publicly. So I, I can buy that. Man, I wish I would have said it the way that you said it. That's very, very well put and is basically the point that I was trying to get at, but just far less eloquent. So um, one thing I did get right, though, was that Amazon was in a really good position to thrive this quarter. And if you look at it, 
they've had six straight quarters of AWS or maybe seven now of AWS growth contraction in their web services, cloud hosting division. The thing is, you look at it and it's you're basically taking four quarters of comps uh, onto COVID growth. Like when you have AWS growing 39% in the middle of COVID, because that was basically the entire entire economy. And then you come and you say, well, growth decelerated. It's like, well, of course it decelerated. The comparison was impossible to meet. You follow that up with two quarters of um, you know higher rates, unpredictable economy, maybe recession talk. And that's when customers go to Amazon Web Services and they say, well, we need to optimize our spend. And that basically means you know we're not going to grow our spend and help us take what our spend is today and get our get the job done. Um, and so you end up with like, yeah, that's that's the recipe. It's not because of business weakness necessarily. It's because of the broader context. And what Amazon's coming up now is it's going to um, be able to to turn in quarters, looking back at those old expectations versus the impossible to beat expectations. And is really set up for a really nice run here. And it seems to have its ducks in order when it comes to uh, AI now with the anthropic investment and a finally a coherent strategy with AWS. Uh, retail's picked up. We had a 4.9% GDP growth uh, that we just turned in this week. And so, of course, Amazon retail numbers were supposed to be pretty good. And then advertising, right? Like when advertisers need to spend smartly, they're going to spend on Amazon advertising because it's just the closest possible way to get an ROI. And lo and behold, the company did did quite well. It blew out its earnings expectations and uh, it's up, uh, you know, 3% on the week, but about 7% on Friday, which is quite impressive. Yeah, I think Andy Jassy has had a bit of a rough go in terms of like public perception of his performance, but I think this was a good report for him. Again, as you said, these numbers still net income tripled to $10 billion from $3 billion just a year ago. And and I think that's a good point. It's like we're finally, I don't want to say the world is certainly not normal, but any comps against COVID, era, like the COVID era, call that six quarters, maybe, maybe even up to eight, all of tw- th- the Q2, three, and four of 2020, certainly first half of 2021, maybe the entirety of 2021. Now, at least we finally have uh, companies being able to have reasonable comps from a year ago. So being being able to really understand are they growing? Are they in a good position? It's starting to make more sense. And yeah, for Amazon, to me, the advertising number stood out that they beat expectations. And now it's a $12 billion business. Analysts were expecting $11.5 billion. Um, as you said, Amazon Web Services beat expectations. So the two very high margin businesses for them are doing well. What's interesting to me as a company, and, and also it's it's it made me think is, is Andy Jassy going to become kind of like, could he be the Wall Street friendly version of uh, Amazon CEO? Because he is going to be focusing on, again, high margin things. He's from AWS that Wall Street always liked versus Bezos, who was given plenty of you know leeway to do whatever he wanted, but still always focused on not making a profit and just growing. So so it's going to be interesting for them. Yeah, the ship is definitely turning. I mean, you look at the advertising business and that's coming in at almost half the revenue of AWS and the margins are insane there. I mean, basically it's 100% margins. The stuff that 
that they're paying for is everything on the retail side, which tends to zero out. Oh, hold on. One thing I had to, in the report, one of the things that jumped out to me is uh, net income for Amazon included, to get that $10 billion number, included a pre-tax valuation gain of $1.2 billion from their investment in Rivian. Are you uh, are you familiar with Rivian? Not only have you ever fam- been in a oh my god been in a Rivian, Ranja, yeah? Let me pick you up because uh, in November I'm going to get I think a week long uh, lease or loan from Rivian of uh, I probably shouldn't say this but I'm saying it. Um, it's coming. I hope we're speaking to them now about getting a week long uh, loan of their their pickup truck, uh, and I'm going to tool around New York with it for a week, and then RJ Scaringe, the CEO, is going to come on the show. So okay, all right, all right, familiar, interesting. Yeah, I just right. interviewed him for I, uh, GQ, but we're actually going to do an in-depth, uh, another in-depth conversation for the show, which I'm stoked about. Okay, yeah, no, I uh, I wrote in one recently, and it was a very, very cool experience. So I uh, th- that one jumped out, and it's just always a reminder of how uh, certain line items can actually make a big difference in these earnings reports that mm-hmm. you might miss or don't actually have. to that much to do with the company itself um but yeah i think i think amazon i will still say and this is something happy to rant about but as a user of amazon and the core product it still just seems to get worse and worse and i still wonder you know when they have prime day summer prime day october Mm -hmm. like trying to create multiple holidays every year and i don't know overall the experience even things come arriving reliably it just seems to just continuously degrade so Oh. I, I'm still curious where this goes. I mean, competitively against Sheen and Timu, maybe that's the only way to to play. But it feels like I don't know if they're paying simply less attention to Amazon.com proper, but it's just gotten so much worse for me. So I have a column coming in big technology from Christy Coulter, who uh, it, ah, she yeah. was on the show recently, and she's going to talk about why. The design of Amazon is so bad. I, can't, I just, I, we're going through an edit now. It's okay. such a good story. So um, wait, wait, we can talk it, about that afterwards. It's bad. Sorry. Like on purpose? It's on purpose it's bad? Or I can't share anymore right, because fine, I'm going to give fine. away the story. But when, when, it, when, we, when, um, <laughs> when it publishes, we'll definitely talk about it. Maybe Christy can come on to explain a little bit about what's going on there. All right, let's talk about Alphabet, right? Very difficult week for Alphabet. Um, which is interesting because it sort of beat expectations across the board, except for in one little area, cloud. But cloud is not even important, such an important part of, of Alphabet's business. And it didn't even miss, well, it actually did miss fairly decently. Uh, it was expected to bring in $8.64 billion in revenue and it brought in $8.41. It had its worst day in the stock market since the start of COVID since March 2020. And it looks like all of a sudden people are fleeing from Alphabet. Uh, what what do you think is behind this exodus from the company as far as investors yeah, go? I think, okay, so I was surprised and felt maybe it is a bit of an overreaction, but I think it's a reminder again, and I mean, on the topic of Amazon.com core versus AWS and advertising, Google's search and ad business has been 
a stable and steadily growing giant over years, but their cloud business has been a major source of growth. I mean, it's pretty nuts. It was, you know, uh, only 8 billion in total in 2019. It's growing 50% year on year. Still, sometimes it always just astounds me when you see those, again, a company growing 50% or a, a unit growing 50% from 8 billion, now <laughs> around 26 billion, I believe. Um, so then if it misses, and it's not growing at that insane rate, obviously that doesn't look good. And even more important is every investor understands right now that you know where and how people make money in AI is especially in generative AI, no one really knows what that model is gonna look like and how it's gonna look like. Even if we think about it, and we've talked about this a lot here, like Amazon's investment in Anthropic is either 1 billion up to 4 billion. A lot of it is cloud credits. How much of it is actual cash? How, mu how do they even see a return? What are they hoping to get out of it? Like this stuff is so convoluted and complex right now and uncertain. So investors, they just wanna know that Alphabet's cloud division, Google Cloud, or Microsoft, and they, they, Microsoft even breaks out what they call intelligent cloud, um, and that business line, which is their AI services, that these are growing, that they're actually figuring out, starting to figure out how to make money and showing they can grow, and it's Google didn't. And, uh, and I think that that's gonna cause more fear than anything right now, because that's really how people, when you're thinking about this three to five years down the road, that's clearly where everyone's betting on growth. So my perspective on this, and this, I guess it plays off of what you're saying, is that people are starting to have big questions about Google's ability to do anything big, again, outside of search. And cloud is a proxy for that because cloud is a proxy for AI. And even though AI is only accounting for like, what, 2 3% of revenue in places like Azure, where it's actually doing well, um, if Google's missing its cloud number, people just see that as like a glaring red flag in terms of where its business is going while the others are growing. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's it. It's, it's, I mean, myself, like in, as a major user of plenty of generative services and how this stuff is going to be profitable is it's, it's so up in the air and it's, it honestly makes it the, for me, the most exciting story to follow the uh, topic as a user to actually use or technology to use because it's so up in the air. Like we might see some companies we're not even thinking about become giants mm -hmm. right now because because the business model side of generative AI is so wild west still. So so I think investors are just really desperate to see someone show something. And I think I mean honestly, Microsoft. You have to imagine from an enterprise side, it, like it, to me, it's almost like a tertiary benefit of the open AI relationship is they're probably closing major deals solely based on the open AI brand and, uh, you know, like big enterprises just being you people using chat GPT. Exactly. And even when, when it comes to the, the stuff that has nothing to do with an open AI, just the idea that you're loosely connected to one of their models is help probably helping some enterprise salesperson on a golf course close a deal versus uh, <laughs> uh versus i mean it, 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 you can see how that that was a smart play like that absolutely it's like yeah hey one day you would like to your cloud to speak with you wouldn't you look yeah <laughs> just give well, me no, an but, extra but few you, seats if you think of it now that i'm thinking about it so 
Meta has made a pretty good splash with Llama and, you know, we're taking this alternative approach of open source, but there's still a brand there. Amazon now is trying to associate its enterprise business with Anthropic, which as a user increasingly of Claude, the Anthropic chatbot, which is really good. I think it might be the best of the uh, the bunch. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Claude, because you can also, you can dump in massive amounts of text. Mm -hmm. I will admit for this podcast, what I do beforehand is I basically copy the text of like 20 to 30 articles, <laughs> dump it in Claude Amazing. and say, pull out all the numbers mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, pull out like 15 to 20 insights or something like that. And then and then go back and then read more more deeply into certain things that like were of interest. But that's where I start now because it can just take massive dumps of de of text. So um, we've been doing uh, yeah, this so, show with a LLM the entire time. My goodness, I, I'm not even I'm not even here. I don't, this is just generated. <laughs> this uh, is the future no, but, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, instead of starting with reading all the articles, you start with the extractions of insights and summaries and mm -hmm. then then dive deeper to me as a research process is always better um okay. but but th but then microsoft has open ai google does not have any kind of cool and sexy brand to any of their underlying models like you don't like, find bard you, you, cool and sexy <laughs> no neither do i, I still one of the worst namings but but actually oh, wait, wait hold on bard is pretty good I will say, you've always uh, been a bard boy. Of, it is true. A bard boy, never a bing boy, <laughs> always a bard boy. What bard I will use for is current events, anything mm -hmm. recent. Actually, right now, I you can put, give me the uh, growth of Google Cloud over the last three years in terms of revenue and growth rates, and it'll make you a nice table. Whereas uh, ChatGPT will say, I'm sorry, my data is only trained up until whenever. Um, Anthropic will say the same thing. So, so Bard for pulling together, and this is where I think Google could do something huge if they execute on this well. Generative search, I think, is really impressive in Google. For anyone who, and we've talked about this, who's experienced mm -hmm. it, um, when you get what that does to their business model, I have no idea, and it's going to be really interesting. But if they become the leader in continuing to have people search there and then presenting you with the best and in right information, um, and Bard is actually doing pretty good at that kind of current event search as well, or recent financial data or anything like that. So, so I think that's a huge opportunity for them. But, like, do you know the name of Google's main large like large language model that they use? It's Text Bison, and then they have Text a uh, couple of other ones. But again, it's like these are not in headlines. So I think mm -hmm. the, the branding element of all this AI, enterprise AI definitely, I think, is playing a part in their behind. I want to put a point on something that you said about Microsoft being able to close deals based off of the Open AI Association, because let's on move to that course. company and on, on the golf, golf course. course, let's move to that company's yeah. earnings, because they actually gave us some numbers this quarter about how many deals they are closing directly linked to Open AI, which does make you believe that there are more. So, um, Look, the company, uh, the Azure OpenAI service now has 18,000 customers from CNBC, up from 11,000 customers in July. I mean, to close an additional 7,000 uh, enterprise customers in a quarter for this OpenAI service is just enormous. It's enormous. I mean, jump 63% in a quarter is wild. So we do know that this is having a material impact. And like, while 
you know, it might be two to 3%. They'll say like, this, this is growth that they can count on for quite some time and will just expand. And that's why when you think about the winners this week, you have Microsoft that's up in a week that most other big tech companies are down. Yep. I think that's, that's definitely fair that, uh, Yep, that that captures it all right there. You know, uh, one one more thing about Microsoft earnings. So this is apparently something that has been around for the past week or so. Um, they might owe the U.S. government like twenty nine billion dollars in tax, and it has something to do with like trying to set up shop in Puerto Rico or something. And they're appealing this amount of uh, this amount of fine. But that's also something to like look at for for Microsoft. Is that 20, $29 billion is not something you shrug off. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of money that they could potentially owe to the U.S. government. I mean, think about... It's finally, finally a number that actually would matter for one of these yeah. companies. And it's not a fine. It's just the back taxes element. But if and when they do actually have to pay that, that's seriously going to hit that company's... I mean, you think about the loss they'll have for that quarter. It's going to be enormous. But in terms of the other company I definitely wanted to touch on this week is Tesla earnings, because to me, this is one of the bigger earnings reports for Tesla, because it wasn't a good one for them. It was mm -hmm. definitely, and I know we, we go back and forth in terms of, I certainly lean more to the bearish side on the company, but what was really interesting was I have been certainly seeing more Teslas on the road. I have uh, talked to more people who have bought Teslas in the last year, and it's because they had made the, I mean, in, to their credit, the very specific strategic decision to go for growth over profitability, and to and they're and we're seeing it in their margins. Margins have compressed down to net margin was eight percent, where it was almost nineteen percent a year ago. So I think in terms of uh, profitability, it's it's already showing up in the reports. And, and it's a reminder because like the direction of the company and the valuation demands extreme profitability. Obviously, certain analysts will say the uh, dojo um, AI systems are super high margin items like robots that will manage your entire supply chain are how you'll get there. But just on the cars alone, it's moving into a way where it's almost feeling too mass market. And when you bring down the price, I mean, as a traditional like retail problem, are they losing some of their cachet and allure when it's you can get it almost for cheaper than uh, mid-level Honda? I mean, what does that do to the overall brand as well? Okay, and this is why I, I feel like Wall Street is sometimes so unfair to companies, uh, <laughs> even though they've been very so fair, mean. beyond fair to Tesla. But- Sometimes the stock valuations and the, the incentives that companies chase on Wall Street have nothing to do with like the actual company health. Look, the environment right now for EVs is extremely competitive. Not only that, we are in a moment of higher rates. And for Tesla, which is just basically getting to the point where it's able to make uh, the amount of cars that it wants to make, getting those cars on the road, getting them into the, you know, into the hands of owners. I guess you don't really put a car in somebody's hands, but getting them into owners driveways, uh, I guess is how a car reporter would say it, um, <laughs> is crucial. And like, is mass market something that you actually don't want? I mean, think about it. The, the, you know, what better, um, mark of success could you have for a vehicle than to be one of the most sold and most owned vehicles 
in in the U.S. or in the world. And if Tesla is trying to get it, make its way there, and it can do that, and it's gotten its manufacturing to the point where it's able to discount and still make profit, albeit less profit than before, I think we that should be a good thing. Especially, I mean, think about how many EVs are hitting the road. Uh, ultimately, yeah, but- this is this is good news. That's good news in two ways. One, if if every person who now buys a Tesla wants to buy a Tesla again and mm-hmm. then again, and or theoretically in the perfectly executed world, subscribes to whatever ser- additional services of full self-driving or other super high margin items Tesla provides, insurance, whatever, Okay, that's good for them. But when you say Wall Street has been incredibly fair to them, Tesla, we were just talking about uh, Google trading or big tech trading at kind of like a 20x PE ratio versus Nike even around 30 and Walmart around 30. Tesla is at 66. Tesla's price to sales ratio is 7.5, whereas Ford trades at 0.5, Volkswagen Toyota trades at 0.5. Um, so the, so for a, an established mature automaker, many of whom have pretty compelling EV offerings right now, Tesla is still trading at insane levels relative to them. It's so way too cheap, like, Ron John. Absolutely wrong. Give it a 200 <laughs> multiple. Okay, be done with it. And uh, this was one of my favorite things that happened this week with Tesla, which was a little under the radar. Hertz, if we remember... Uh, bankrupt during uh, COVID and then came out of it. And one of the big things they did was announce in 2021, and I'll never forget, I was on CNBC discussing this partnership that Hertz had announced uh, that they would be buying up to 100,000 Teslas for their fleet. Um, It was an amazing moment. And I was actually going back just to to go back into that COVID time machine to October 2021 because Hertz makes this big announcement. It was at the time that, do you remember the Matt Levine companies are no longer valued based on financial uh, future cash flows, but instead proximity to Elon Musk was uh, something that he had said for a while. It was literally companies would say like something about being associated with Elon Musk and see their stock go up. Hertz makes this announcement. Elon Musk weirdly came out and said it's not true uh, right at the at that moment. But it that was when it it skyrocketed Tesla's valuation to the peak, the peak, which was hit in November 2021. That was like the announcement that pushed this move. Now, about two years later, in Hertz's most recent earning earnings report, they missed on profit because their fleet of Tesla's has fallen in value so much because of these price cuts that are happening on the, by they're being generated by Tesla. And this is one thing I hadn't even really thought about is a, a rental car company, a lot of their business and is based on the potential resale value of their entire fleet. Oh, that's fascinating. So because te- yeah, so because Tesla is cutting prices on its own side, uh, Hertz is now getting hit because they're uh their profitability is getting hit because the value overall of their teslas has fallen so much it's actually hurting their bottom line and their ceo had said that hertz is suffering a higher incidence of damage with its tesla fleet relative to its uh, regular fleets well if the worst thing that happens when elon musk tries to get teslas in the hands of people around the world is that hertz takes a hit on the resale value of their cars (laughs) sign me up a so Tesla you, in every you, job, driveway, a chicken in every pot. Do you believe uh, Elon is doing this for the people? 
yes. to bring Teslas to the world, Listen. even if it means losing <laughs> money and watching that stock absolutely plummet from its inflated valuations. I mean, but it's for the what's people. What's the mission? What's the mission? Maybe you're this right, is all. Right. Maybe this is a appetizer course for everyone to upgrade to the Cybertruck. Get me in one of those ah, Cybertrucks. And the robots, and the robots, let's not forget that. So speaking of Elon Musk, let's talk for a moment about his fake cage match partner, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, so... Oh, wait. Did we ever... Have, has anyone talked about the cage match recently? No. Oh, Elon did tweet about it this week, and he's, I think he's ready to fight, fight Zuck. He's back? Okay. He's back. As Alex and I have debated endlessly on this show... <laughs> I believe you thought the cage match would happen. I'm still uh, still ahead on this one. No, but I'm ready to take the L on this. I don't think it's happening. I don't think Zuckerberg right. wants anything to do with this anymore. No, especially right now. So, and and why would he? Because his company is doing great. It beat uh, top and bottom line on earnings and revenue uh, for Meta is up 23%. It's the fastest rate of growth since 2021. Not only that, time spent on the apps are increasing dramatically. 7% time spent increase on Facebook, 6% time increase on Instagram. Zuckerberg calls it a result of our recommendation, improvements, translation. We have become TikTok and people are staying around longer. And not only that, we've now figured out how to make money off of it. Okay, great earnings report for Meta, obviously in great shape. Stock's down 5% because the CFO talked about how the war in the Middle East is creating some uncertainty for the ad business. So good or a bad moment for Meta? I think it's still a good moment because the things they have said they would deliver on, they have delivered on. And I think that's the thing that, you know, especially Wall Street always wants to see is that time spent reels monetization and growth of reels and short form video products has done incredibly well. And and especially again, monetizing reels is something that was a nascent business for them and that they have been building is, uh, is it's doing well. So that means that they can compete against TikTok. Certainly like my uh, feeds and chats have been inundated with people sharing reels and, and it's definitely increased as anecdotal evidence over the last six months, let's say. Also for me, this was big. They fixed their ad business. They, they they figured it out. And honestly, some it's back to tracking is so or sorry, ad personalization has gotten so good again on Instagram. It's kind of creepy to me because so for context, I always say do not track whenever given the option by Apple. And still it gets me and knows what I'm looking at and thinking about. But as Meta had stated, instead of in the past cookie-based tracking that you go click on a website elsewhere, it tracks you and then based on that serves you, now that they had been developing machine learning that based on who you follow and other attributes about your actual in-app activity across Facebook properties, it would be able to predict what you're thinking about and looking at. And, and you can imagine, it's if all of the people I follow, many of whom have opted into tracking, are looking at something, and probably talking to me about it, then it'll know to serve me that ad. So so they have come up with all these other ways to still deliver you that personalized ad, and it's working again. So yeah. I think this company is in a good place. And we talked about this on Wednesday with Brian McCullough, but basically what's happened is advertisers have, and you probably know this well, right, taken their money that they had in Meta previously 
and said, okay, this isn't working anymore. We're going to go to Snapchat. We're going to go to Twitter. We're going to go to TikTok. And then basically come back to Meta because the others have been hit so much harder by Apple's anti-tracking uh, moves and, and can't do anything about it. And I'll tell you, like, I, I don't even feel like I should. Well, I feel like after what, what we talked about last week, this will be somewhat, you know, G-rated. But my, uh, my Twitter ad platform knows me so poorly that <laughs> it regularly serves me ads for uh, bras, uh, small cup bras. Okay. All right. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? And then I, I mean, remember, oh, I opted out of tracking. Yeah, but but this is where you... So if you think about it, for Meta, think about how much signal they have within their own ecosystem, right? Like on Facebook, every person you are connected to, the degree with which you are connected to that person, how many mutual connections you have, and then what those other people do create signal about you. But think versus, about all the signal you have no, on no, no, Twitter, Twitter, all Twitter, the interests yeah, but, that you have. You have I so agree. many, every, everything you're interested in the world is on Twitter. I, I agree. That was always, when Elon took over, the most ridiculous thing to me was all they needed to do was just fix their ad platform. Again, I agree. I have... Twitter has more insight into my interests than any other platform in over a 30 or 15 year period right now that to not be able to turn that in. And oh my God, my Twitter ads are, are even weirder than getting small cup bras. So I, uh, I don't yeah, want to know then what you're getting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break here and come back to talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff we teased at the top of the show back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast Friday edition with Ron John Roy of Margins. You can get Margins at readmargins.com. Very quickly, lightning round, maybe five minutes each for our next uh, group of topics. First of all, SBF is in court. Um, His lawyers this week said our client will testify. And the Washington Post has a headline describing that testimony where it says, Bankman Freed dodges waffles during cross-examination at trial hearing. Uh, Nick Thompson from The Atlantic pointed out that it's a very good thing the headline writer remembered the the comma, so didn't have him dodging waffles, just dodging and waffling. (laughs) Um, But it says, during Thursday's hearing, Bankman Freed spoke coherently and precisely under questioning from uh, defense attorney Mark Cohen. He said his lawyers on FTX legal counsel had signed off on the bulk of his decisions. These are the people that obviously he's going to blame, right? I'm saying this. And now back to the post. The defendant spoke with his usual usual mannerisms, often smiling, bobbing his head, and sometimes answering the defense's questions with his signature Yelp response. But 
When it came time for Bankman Free to answer questions from federal prosecutor Danielle Sassoon, he responded with the uncertainty of a man who may or may not respons- be responsible for losing billions in customer deposits. Huh? <laughs> I mean, good idea, bad idea for him to testify. I think a terrible idea because everything I've been reading in terms of the coverage is he 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 even had talked about you know like uh, that wasn't the right question like you would want to ask it this way i can see the you don't understand crypto arrogance probably is just going to be seeping through and the whole kind of cutesy disheveled billionaire thing no longer works so mm. i think uh him testifying is going to be a terrible thing for his defense and uh especially with just a jury of normal people so i'm curious to see where it goes actually have you made it any further in the michael Lewis oh yeah book? i'm just about done and yeah. i'm starting to get angry at this point it it was very okay. very good i think the first thir- <laughs> two thirds was, were very very good and then sam starts doing the crimes and michael lewis is just like just irresponsibly soft on him it's very frustrating yeah, I think two stars to two stars, two stars to me, the the yeah, we, we more needs to come out and we can cover this more. But my, my favorite exercise on the podcast is us <laughs> trying to present SBF's defense. Yes. And maybe we should do an entire segment next week of each of us play the role of SBF's lawyer, because I mm-hmm. just don't see how it's going to go. But who no, knows? there's there's nothing he can say, although. Let me, OK, let me just preview what the All defense right, go, might go, be. Go, go, go. Uh, have you seen the price of Bitcoin lately, Ron John? <laughs> okay it's the, what, it's we, oh, 35 33 it was up to 35 it's 33 yeah that's 27 up 27 percent on in the month and 65 percent in the past year all right so crypto's back if it you could the ftx defense could argue if this world just waited a year they would see that sam bankman series b investment in anthropic is now worth almost the entire $8 billion that he lost. And the Bitcoin investment is now worth, I don't know, much more than it was previously. Something. Actually, my, Michael Saylor is now apparently profitable on his Bitcoin bet. Uh, for those unfamiliar, the micro strategy, what was previously a consulting firm, basically just became a proxy for Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, mate, crypto's back. So And, crypto's and they back. would say that if, if the bankruptcy... Uh, uh, it was all the uh, fault of those liquidated the Bitcoin, people. sold the stuff on the uh, secondary, and they are responsible uh, for this terrible it's their shame. Fault. It's their fault. Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> Not guilty. <laughs> all right. Apologies to Michael Lewis. Um, <laughs> No, no, clearly it's, it's not going to be good for him. Okay, uh, Cruz. Uh, Cruz is from the Times. Cruz stops all driverless taxi operations oh. in the United States. Cruz said on Thursday evening that it would pause all driverless operations in the United States. Two days after California regulators told General Motors, the General Motors subsidiary, to take its autonomous cars off the state's roads. The decision affects Cruz's robo-taxi services in Austin, Texas, and Phoenix, where a limited number of public riders could hail rides. Non-commercial operations in Dallas, Houston, and Miami were also paused. Terrible blow for crews and self-driving, uh, which which I feel terrible about because I'm about to have Takedra Mawakana, the co-CEO of Waymo, on the show on Wednesday. We already had that discussion, so we're not going to cover this part. 
I will say, so basically at the, at the core of this is we now know that a, a cruise car may have dragged a pedestrian for about uh, 20 feet after hitting them uh, and potentially it was like a human driver that hit that person. But the cruise car did drag the person and that's an unacceptable failure of technology. So I guess like I want to make a, a, a quick point here, which is that I still remain extremely bullish on self-driving cars. They've obviously proven safer than than anything else. I'm excited to air the interview with Takedra on Wednesday, where we talk about Waymo's expansion and safety and the potential there. However, uh, you're not going to get a lot of chances at this if you're the self-driving industry, because if this stuff no, goes no. wrong, it is extremely dangerous. And um, I don't know, I read this headline with concern, especially if it, I, if it turns out true that Cruise wasn't completely forthcoming here. I completely disagree why I'm excited about that headline. And at first I was, again, you know, like we both, you especially have been very bullish on mm -hmm. EVs and actual, and, and I agree with you that this is one of the kind of quiet stories that are revolutionary this year that we're gonna, I, I, I think we're gonna look back in a few years and be like, this, this happened, this was real. Why this is good is it's a reminder that now the companies are ready to, now companies are working with regulators. And again, it was, I mean, I think they, I saw they have 50 on the road in San Francisco during the day, 150 at night when obviously there's less pedestrian traffic. So it's, they're doing this in a smart way. And I, I believe this is again, I know uh, Tesla ranting is something I may do more often than I should, but to me, uh, it's that lack of coordination with regulatory bodies that's actually hampered the industry. It's it's because everything was done in a move fast and break things way versus now working directly with regulators being like, okay, it's just 200 cars. We'll take them off the road. Let's talk about this. Let's come up with a solution. Because I, I, I believe that the excitement and the energy around this is going to grow so much that every policymaker and politician is going to know it's going to make them more popular and good be good for them to actually support this entire industry. So I think approaching this in a responsible way is much better than in the past, you know, like just putting self-driving cars on the road and calling it self-driving and videos leaking about people not actually driving when they're supposed to be. I think that was much more damaging to the long-term health versus what what's happening right now. So, well, great. so I liked this All article. Right. My mind has changed. Yeah. That makes me feel a lot better than I did coming in seeing that headline. I felt stupid because like, you know, obviously Takedra and I will not discuss the cruise situation because we'll talk about some of the things that have happened, but we won't discuss it because it happened after we recorded. But, uh, you know, it is good to know that there is some above board stuff happening here. And, you know, it's obvious riding in those cars, they feel a lot safer uh, than, than if you're with a human driver and you definitely want to puke a lot less. Um, but by the way, <laughs> they, they are doing this partnership with Uber, which is very interesting. Takedra and I will uh, speak about that as well, where you're going to be able to start to hail Waymos through Uber, which is super cool. Very really? interesting from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, the news just broke yesterday. I mean, we talked about, I wish I had done it. Like, I wish they held that embargo for a Wednesday as opposed to a Thursday, uh, but they didn't. So anyway, we'll have to air it next week. But, um, and here I am Googling just to make sure it did, even though I know it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, yesterday they announced it. So anyway, all right. More on that with the Kedra next week. Last, uh, last segment here. Um, I wrote this story today about, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, coming for Sam Altman and OpenAI, um, and basically the conceit of the story is that like 
OpenAI is actually a real threat to Meta's business. Not only did it have the fastest growing consumer product, but it's building a platform and chat, which is something Meta has tried to do. It's a very attractive place as an employer to work um, and potentially threatens to poach Meta's AI employees who want the money, they want the prestige. And, um, and it's arguing for more regulation where Meta really would like this research to be able to be done with limited restrictions. And so now Zuckerberg is coming for Sam Altman. As the headline says, he is, um, you know, he instead of one general purpose chatbot, he's built 28 that are now in Messenger and WhatsApp. And he's released Llama 2, the open source LLM. And of course, he's in Washington, uh, are advocating against some of the alarmism, care, whatever you want to call it, that OpenAI is pushing. What do you make of this? Is this actually a, is, is this a real rivalry? Am I reading this right? I think so. I mean, as we had said, uh, Meta is back in a good place again. And I think clearly, you know, putting AI at the center, again, as the ad personalization that's driven by machine learning and machine learning prediction is clearly doing well. So they've figured something out. But but on the consumer side, have you used any of the Facebook uh, the or the Messenger chatbots featuring uh I think it's Kylie Jenner, one with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, um, I have. Yeah, the, I've used the Tom was, Brady one. Oh, you did? I tried to what get him to weigh to in Tom on the, the, the. I talked about Colin Kaepernick and tried to get him to weigh in there. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. What happened? Uh, he supported Colin Kaepernick, which is interesting. Oh, he did. Yeah, I would have seen that happening. Okay, that's almost better because. I I I would have predicted that it would have programmed in. As a chatbot, I will not view, like weigh in on no, politically no, sensitive on issues. Yeah. Wow. So the mm-hmm. Tom Brady uh, generative chatbot was pro Kaepernick. Yeah. All and by right, the way, I, I, we should definitely cover this in a subsequent show. But I do have this theory that um, we are really about to move from this more general purpose ChatGPT type application into much more narrow use cases like Harvey, the legal AI or character AI or what Meta is doing with its bots, where you have one that's a dance teacher, one that's a trainer, one that, you know, tells you jokes, one that's, you know, you get to hang out with Tom Brady. And and oh, so yeah, I think yeah, Meta yeah. has really done a good job outflanking OpenAI on this front. And by the way, you take that and you put that into, you know, three billion user or two billion user chat apps, and maybe you do it in Instagram as well. I mean, you're cooking with grease once you do oh, that. Oh, actually, wait, 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 hold on. To add on to this, to apparently we're going to end this uh, episode just yeah. all about Meta. Um, so broadcast channels. Mm-hmm. So they just announced last week that Facebook and Inst- or Facebook and Facebook Messenger are going to start having these broadcast channels. I have it on WhatsApp, and so for to explain what they are, it's a now it it gets its own section on the bottom menu called updates. And I follow the Atlantic, the Major League Baseball, Wall Street Journal, CNN. And basically all they do is kind of broadcast things in a fairly conversational way. Um, and I actually have been using it on WhatsApp regularly for news consumption. It's almost kind of creating my own mini news reader. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about it. It's going after Twitter and clearly threads, maybe not in my opinion, the strongest uh, Facebook product or rollout, even though the fastest growing to 100 million and now who knows where it is. But this was really interesting because even as another experiment that they're quietly doing mm-hmm. is 
taking over broadcast. So I will now get like regular updates from Major League Baseball that could have been a tweet, but their highlights, their uh, updates as the playoffs have been going on. The Atlantic will have short video interviews. Um, oh. So yeah, yeah. So and they're bringing it to Facebook Blue and Facebook Messenger. So the idea that they're going after Twitter's broadcasting ability. Is, is is like one way broadcasting essentially you can even follow certain musicians and stuff have signed up and they'll say like ticket sales are coming so so i think this is even on just on whatsapp alone this was very interesting to me nice and yet another mark zuckerberg in the cage uh coming out on top damn like on one hand like i'm excited about these channels on the other hand i'm just like another thing to post on i can't man i just can't but oh yeah but <laughs> no but, but oh, wait, wait hold on yeah I, I think this is good this is good <laughs> now it's uh things are fragmented in a good way it's that p- different people consume in different ways versus right you only have twitter and instagram and just that one feed so I, I, i'm i i'm pro i think it's good for the ecosystem and bad for the creator you know yeah I that's mean, just yeah, my perspective fair. all right yeah we're running long, so let's call it here. Ranjan, thank you so much for coming on again. Great to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Awesome. Enjoy your your weekend as Taylor Swift. I I will Or is be it gonna be next Tuesday? Excited. It's for Tuesday, but okay. um maybe I'll wear it all weekend. <laughs> Sounds good. You know. <laughs> Amazing. All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everyone who signed up for the uh, paid edition of Big Technology. It's been awesome to see the support this week. You can do it at bigtechnology.com. Get 25% off for the annual, which is 50% off the monthly for the next couple of days. And uh, a really great week of news. We managed to go through it without talking about World War III. We'll probably do that next week. So stay tuned for that. On Monday, my interview with Gaurav Namade, who is the original product manager on um, Google's, Lam- uh, sorry, Google's Lambda chatbot. Uh, which never released is going to come out uh, on this feed and on my new Big Tech War Stories podcast feed. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to drop it as a bonus episode. And then on Wednesday, my interview with Takidra Mawakana. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. And we will see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.